Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. For this episode of Blueprints, I invited the most versatile organizer I have ever been lucky enough to work with. Tim Ellis of Lead Now and Progress Champions, and a slew of other organizations, I'm sure, will do what he does best. Other than DJing, of course, he is going to share knowledge. We titled this episode Open Source Organizing because that's what best describes, in my mind, how Tim has always operated um, in any interaction I've ever had with him. He's an organizer that's truly focused on equipping and empowering more activists, more rabble-rousers, and more people to disrupt the status quo, which, of course, is what we also try to do here at Blueprints. Welcome to the latest episode of Blueprints. I'm excited to have one of my comrades. I consider Tim a friend. He's taught me so much already, and I hope he's got a lot to share with you folks today. Tim, can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Thanks, Jessa, and thanks for having me on. Uh, I consider you a friend as well, and I'm very glad to be here. Um, my name is Tim Ellis. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I am based in Etobicoke, and uh, I am an organizer and rave DJ uh, and have been involved in a lot of different causes over the last few years, um, but currently I'm doing a lot of work with, uh, I work with Lead Now and also do a lot of volunteering um, with uh, my group Progress Champions and uh, with the... Um, local Etobicoke Climate Action and a few other local community groups. I imagine the list of organizations you've worked with, activists you've coached, is so extensive. Um, you have experience north and south of the border, right? You originate from the United States and have worked on the Bernie Sanders campaigns. Um, any other names you want to drop there that you've, you've worked with? Well, I mean, Bernie is what got me into this kind of field before I was really mostly doing creative stuff, uh, music and writing. Um, but then Bernie got me fired up and excited about more actively engaging in politics. And uh, since then, have worked. I did both Bernie campaigns. I have done data work for some of the other progressives in the squad back in the States. Um, I have done a lot of work up here uh, with some of the NDP campaigns. Uh, I did a OPSU union drive. Um, I've done a lot of campaigns with Lead Now, of course, which I'm always very excited to do. I like the work that Lead Now does, and that's why I stay. Um, and uh, now I'm working with a, um, a candidate here in my ward, uh, Amber Morley, who's fantastic. Uh, helped her out last time a little bit, and I'm doing more involved work with her this time. Uh, she's fantastic. So uh, if anyone's listening to this wants to help a great progressive candidate get elected in Ward 3, Amber's your girl. And that is the Toronto City Council, right, we're talking about? That's right. Awesome. Let's hear a little bit more about Progress Champions. I told you I was going through the website. I'm so intrigued. I don't know where you find the time to do something this impressive, but explain to folks who have no idea what Progress Champions is. What are you up to, Tim? Sure. Um, and it's quite new. I mean, we just put the website live last week, so most people won't have heard of it, I assume. Um, it's been something I've been kicking around for a while, and I have found that um, right from the start when I worked with Bernie in 2016, we were pioneering some new things. And with Bernie 2016, I mean, 
none of the pros were working with Bernie. They were all with some of the other opponents. There was, you know, 20 some candidates in that primary between GOP and Democrats. So it was all young people. I was often like the oldest person there. I was like 30 something at the time, like 32 or something. Um, so no one knew what to do, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of figuring out as we went. And the result of that, yeah, there were some mistakes, but there was also quite a bit of innovation. And uh, I've re I really enjoyed that um, and have kept that spirit since then and have found the opportunity to do a lot of trial and error, try out some new techniques, try and kind of modernize and explore new ways of doing the old organizing. And I mean, the core is always going to be people, but there's lots of new ways to reach people. And um, so as I learned those skills and developed some of those skills, I found that a lot of people just didn't have uh, an awareness that those things existed, that those tools existed, or those techniques existed, and I wanted to share those things. And I've been doing that kind of informally for a long time, um, but I've decided now to try and gather all of that information in a more regular way. And so Progress Champions, the purpose of that is to serve as a hub for people who want to organize, for progressives and leftists who want to learn the skills they need to be really effective organizers in the 21st century and to help innovate new skills uh, and to share that across the community. Can you give us some idea of the cutting edge technology or something really exciting in the way that uh, you describe technology and organizing intersecting and, and coming together? What would we be really excited to hear about there? Yeah, I think there's lots of cool stuff. So I've been using um, a number of off-the-shelf apps to do uh, to facilitate and force multiply organizing. And so as an example, uh, Airtable is just a database app, but it's very intuitive and it has a lot of automations to it. And uh, one thing that does is it allows you to take some of the, the grunt work off your plate when you're an organizer, especially like a low resource campaign. Um, so as an example, you can set it up so that uh, people fill out their, like they want to volunteer, they get a sign up form, they fill it out, you're notified automatically in Slack or your message app that, oh, there's a new volunteer you should follow up with. And the volunteer automatically gets an email with a welcome kit saying, hey, this is great. We're going to book a call with you. Um, if they don't book a call within a week, they can get a follow-up reminder automatically. They can get a text automatically. Like you can automate those sort of follow-ups, keeping people in the loop, always keeping people as the focus, but taking that burden of remembering to do these things. You know, I have galloping ADHD, so I forget things. So it's nice to make it automatic. So I can't forget, and then uh, I get those those processes built. I imagine low resources is a common theme in progressive campaigns, right? I imagine it's what drove a lot of the innovation on the Sanders campaign. It's I consider you a pro, but it's why the big guns, perhaps um, the paid consultants, were were elsewhere. Um, you're kind of turning that on its head, though. That is a real practice where a lot of those low resources campaigns are still spending a lot of money on paid consultants. It's one of the main gripes uh, we have with the NDP here. Uh, what would you do differently in terms of the electoral left? How could they be using these same kind of approaches to perhaps spread those dollars? Yeah, that's, I think, a big part of the origin, too, for Progress Champions. And it's, it's much worse in the States, too. I'll tell you, the, the, the way that there is a consultant class that just holds on to this knowledge like it's a secret ritual um, and then they're not really invested in the outcomes a lot of the time. They're only invested in getting their paycheck, and they get that whether they win or lose. And so they go on to the next campaign, and because they have that rarefied knowledge of like how to use NGP Van or these like elite software platforms, uh, campaigns have no choice. They have to find a way to get that information from those consultants, and it charges a, a high dollar. Um, and that means either they have to spend a big chunk of money on it, 
and fall into this, this trap, or they have to forego it, and now they're at a huge disadvantage. Uh, so the aim here with Progress Champions is rather than charging for these services, going to make them freely available. People can donate to support the costs of you know, the website and the infrastructure and so forth, but uh, the information is free. It's for people to share and to use and to develop themselves and share in a community. And I think that helps to open up that access because the, the reason I'm doing this is to make a difference. And you know, we've got a lot to do. <laughs> you know, every advantage we can get is going to go a long way. I keep thinking back. I can't remember the name of the book. It's gonna, it's gonna kill me. But it's big organizing, and it says like the revolution will not be staffed. And I think of you whenever I think of that because I, you've been incredibly generous with your time and your knowledge, and you could easily be one of these paid consultants that we talk about. You, you would deserve it. Um, why why is resource sharing so important to you like that it, it you you emanate like just generosity and patience and every time i've ever asked you for help you have said yes and i know you are incredibly busy how do you why do you why are you so generous with your time and and why do you not capitalize on such things well, I do get a reward because I do enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, and I love hanging out with people. So I, I do get compensated that way. Um, the reason I do it the way that I do it is because, I mean, like, I got into this work um, not just because of Bernie, but because I was experiencing the effects of politics in my work as a musician, as a raver. Like, our community is often full of people who are marginalized, very poor, struggling with substance use, um, a lot of queer people. And uh, we feel the effects of the political structure. And doing the work I was doing there of creating you know, a fun event and having a blast, um, part of that work is making it as safe as you can. And you do that with harm reduction. You do that with um, you know, making sure you're uh, have creating a space that is safe for people. And you can do that, but there's only so much you can do to protect them when they're at the club with you or at the rave with you. And then they go home, and they're back at risk. And so getting into politics, when I saw Bernie doing it, there was an awareness of like, if I'm going to really protect these folks, I got to get at the source. And that's the political structure that Bernie was trying to change. And uh, I still maintain that. Like, that, that's still my passion. That's still my people. I still want to protect them. I still want to keep. What I want is a world where I can go and throw raves all the time. And that's all I have to worry about. But there's so many things to fix to get there that I just spend my time on that. And so the reward here is um, if we're going to change everything, which I think we do need to change basically everything, then you need everyone. And that means giving people those skills. People are smart. People want to make a difference. So if you equip them with the tools to do it, they'll do it. And that, that to me is very satisfying and helps to get towards that world that I think we all deserve. It's funny that you talk about kind of being politicized through rave because my experience is very similar. Obviously, there's lots of things that shaped you know, my political ideas, but in terms of using direct action or uh, collective um, actions was to defend raves to exist in Toronto. So city council was looking to apply all of these rules that essentially would either push it completely underground or put it into the clubs where they ended up being, where it was a little less accessible, especially if you were underage like me. 
so yeah they had a a rave in the city hall in front the space in front of uh, toronto city hall at the same time council was discussing and voting on these measures and olivia chow came down and she spoke to the crowd and she said she was going to bring our message up uh to those who normally would not listen and I was just dancing, smoking weed, but I felt like effective. Like I felt like I was part of something that might put pressure in the right place and, and defend what we needed to do. And I think that's where I really got my taste of direct action and um, the effectiveness of, of doing something collectively like that. So I wonder how many of us started that way. <laughs> Well, it is a good, I mean, um, it, it's, you know, organizing is about relationships and so is raving. So is music. You know, you're finding that community, connecting with people. It's very similar skills and very similar um, mentalities. I get that now. And there, a lot of neurodivergent, um, I'm finding folks uh, enjoyed going to, I call them parties. I, raves always had such a bad connotation. So uh, I'm finding and those folks are in the same circles now as, as we do activism on the left when one of my favorite photos of you is at a Bill Morneau, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, Christmas party, you're you look like you're serving in papers, right? Like, can you share some of the more creative actions that you've done like that? Like, I know technology is pivotal now in, in, in the discussions that we're having, but um, do you have any stories like that you could share with us? Yeah, I mean, that was a fun one. And that was uh, on behalf of the postal <laughs> workers um, who were being legislated back to work, which is, you know, <laughs> against the charter and against every sense of fairness. Um, and uh, I didn't lead that action, but they needed someone to do a little, get a little feisty. And I was, you know, I'm always happy to cause a little, a little good trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I I do, like, I like, I'm a nerd and I like technology, but I really like getting out in the real world too. And, certainly have had the chance to do it. Um, after Bernie 2016, I, was, I had decided, I was like, wow, I really loved that. I felt great about it. I want to do more of that. And was looking for different opportunities to do it. And I found a listing for a campaigner with a group called Fight for the Future back in the States. And I was very honest. I was like, look, I've only just been doing this like a few months with Bernie. I don't think I'm necessarily qualified for this role, but I want to try. And they wrote back and they're like, yeah, you're not. <laughs> um, but we have this other role uh, where we're doing this concert, like this protest concert, and it seems like you'd be a great fit. Um, and so I wound up uh, being the lead coordinator on this concert tour with Tom Morello and with like um, <gasps> Taina Seeley and like all these great artists, anti-flag tour with us. Like it was just a ton of great musicians doing protests against the TPP, rock against the TPP. And um, it was awesome to fuse music and protest like that uh very true to like like it was tom Morello's label who organized it too and very true to their spirit um but on top of that like we did these teach-ins and sit-ins with the um concerts but then they also wanted to do this uh blimp protest they had this like inflatable like 25 foot blimp and they like they kind of sprang that on us like hey like do you know how to like fly a blimp like, i don't know how hard can it be it's a big balloon <laughs> uh turns out it's it's a little more challenging than that. We ran into some issues, but we got it figured out. And so we, all across the U.S., uh, just um, we'd have a concert, and then I'd let this blimp up outside of a congressman's office or on the state capitol steps and uh, just having a blast with that. Like, how do you not get hooked after doing something like that? 
that's <laughs> I've never had to fly a blimp, but now I know who to call if we ever do. I think it's the creativeness of some of your actions that really kind of pique my interest. And so I'm super eager to see all these innovations in technology and how we can utilize them to prop up otherwise usually small uh, resource stricken campaigns. Um, when you organize people, do you have any like key tenants, you know, that help shape essentially everything that you do? Yeah. I mean, it's the same as organizing a rave, right? Like you do want to make sure that people feel very welcome. Um, you want to be speaking to them in their, like the way they engage and, uh, you know, things like snacks, you know, actually make a big difference in accessibility for people who may not be able to take the time to eat otherwise if they go to your meeting. Um, just be thinking about the people. And then also, uh, I like, there's nothing that destroys a movement faster than bad meetings. Uh, if you're going to have meetings as part of this, and sometimes you just got to have a meeting, it's so important to make it not suck. And that means like being very focused, uh, making sure people do have a chance to be heard, but in their turn, uh, and on the topic that you're there to talk about. And so if people want to talk about other things, you can say, love it. We can talk about that, but this isn't actually the time. Let's make sure there is time later, but we got to keep on track with this meeting. So people's time is valued uh, and so that you can achieve the things you need to achieve. And so like, honestly, just good meetings is a huge part of making it effective. As people lose interest when it's a boring meeting or it takes, they plan for an hour and it's three hours long, they can't do that. You know, can't fit that into your schedule. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> I've definitely had those meetings where tangents and, you know, on the left, we always have subplots and everything that we need to do. But I, I'm totally with you. I, I agree. It, it seems like to be participant experience driven, right? And the analogies with the rave, it just, I feel like you you must carry that through to everything. Absolutely. It, it seems applicable. Why not? It is. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you can create, that's what you're doing. You're creating a shared experience at a rave. Like you're, you're, you're structuring it so that there's a, there's a, a story being told. The music builds and builds until you reach the peak. And then there's kind of a, a wind down and people are, are opting into that experience and then sharing it together and communicating it together with each other. And it's the same with a meeting or with an action or with any kind of organizing campaign. You're, you're building out that uh, build up towards the peak and then you're delivering on it and people are opting into that shared experience to do it together. I see like with Progress Champions, it's it's essentially a dream organization because I, we do a lot of organizing together and, and within these circles. And often it is a lack of tools that prevents us from accomplishing what we we really could do especially considering the talent pool that exists um within the working class that just seems untapped but what you're doing to me and to most folks i think would seem insurmountable right that just seems like a really big task can you give us a small idea on like what the very first steps in taking on something that big is right because i'm seeing not the finished product i'm sure but something that looks really glossy really put together and it's fulfilling a dream that you have but where did you start with that 
you got to have the vision. What you got? I'm very goal oriented, and so the first thing is always to decide like what does success look like? What is it that I want to do? And when I can clearly articulate that, that's the hard part, honestly. If you can figure out what it is you want to achieve, what success looks like, then it's just doing it, you know. And then it's just figuring out the steps, and that's the that's the fun, easy part. But figuring out what success looks like is actually quite hard, and I think it's hard for people to articulate that sometimes, where they know they want things to be better, but like, can you put in concrete terms like what is success? Like, is it you know a nice website? Is it having a community of people? Like, how many people? What is the goal? What is the objective? And what's the, sh what's the shared vision you can communicate with others? Uh, and then people may opt into that vision. Uh, I think a really good example, actually, is, uh, is the Not One Seat campaign, which I know is going to be contentious with people. But um, it was, uh -oh. I know. Uh, but in t just purely logistically, it is an idea that was very clearly articulated. Uh, it was, looked achievable and was able to generate a lot of attention and interest and energy in just a few weeks. And that is because uh, it was very clearly articulated from the outset. This is the goal. This is what success looks like. And this is the plan to achieve it. And it looks very achievable. And so that's why people were, were fired up about it and, and did a lot, a lot of work in a very short time to get it to the prominence it had. When you do projects like that, you talk about defining success. How do you measure it? You know, whether that's a direct action or something as ambitious as progress champions. Yeah, I, I do like to set pretty specific metrics if I can. Sometimes it's, it's just more or better. But if you can set like, you know, I expect 500 people to attend this event or, you know, it would be success for me if we get two media coverage, uh, positive news coverage articles, those sorts of clear uh, like KPIs, like the metrics, um, then that gives you a sense of you're achieving your goals. And also what that does is if you're going to have a sustained campaign, it gives you a, a sense of growth or a, a yardstick to measure your progress against. You know, if you have 100 people signed up for something and the next time you have 200, you're seeing clear growth, there's momentum there. And that gives you a sense that you're on the right track. I've seen a, a lot of your work and a lot of, your, you know, what I would consider successes from you. Do you have any particular that you would love to brag about? <laughs> um, I think uh, one that I'm particularly proud of and excited about is the work that Lead Now did on the C12, Bill C12 last year, uh, which was um, a bill. It was actually raised to us by a volunteer, and I think that is a key part of the story. I like that uh, it came from the bottom up, like the volunteers are, and bottom implies a hierarchy that doesn't really exist, but it, it came from a volunteer because that feedback mechanism existed for volunteers to say to a staffer, like, hey, here's a campaign idea, and it, we ran with it. Um, and what it came down to was their, uh, the Bill C-12, it wasn't strong enough. Uh, we came up with some ways that it could be improved. And also, we were up against the deadline of the looming election. And if it didn't make it before that election, which we weren't sure was going to go well, <laughs> uh, it may not pass at all. And if, you know, the conservatives won, that was it. That was the end for C-12. Um, Bill C-12, for those who aren't familiar with it, is the Climate Accountability Act that holds the government accountable for their targets, uh, carbon targets. So getting that passed was a key priority, a real gain. Yes, it could have been much better, but we ran a, a phenomenal, very fast grassroots campaign. Uh, we did targeted phone banks into key MPs' writings where we would call their voters and patch their voters through to the MP. Uh, so they were hearing straight from their constituents about the importance of getting this bill passed and getting these improvements made. And at the end of the day, they passed all of the improvements we asked for, 
and they held uh, the MP or the Parliament in session long enough to pass the bill and committed to doing that, so they got it through. And uh, I really feel that we played a key role in getting that, and uh, I feel very proud of our volunteers who put a lot of time and work into doing that, mobilized very quickly and in a strategic way to deliver that outcome. When you say we, was that a Lead Now project? Yes, it was, yeah. How did you get involved with them? The blimp. <laughs> um, <With> the <laughs> yeah, they, uh, they wanted to do, the first, the first action I did with Lead Now actually was um, a banner drop where they had asked me to do drop a banner off of Christian Freeland's office, and I had to, uh, you know, I don't want to say break in, I would say sneak in a little bit to the building um, and get onto the roof, which I did. I had to climb a fire escape from inside the courtyard and got on there, did the banner drop. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And then they, uh, they asked me to do this blimp thing for an action they were doing, so they brought me on to do the blimp. Uh, and then we also did a projection on the, the Parliament building that night. Um, so just kind of strung this stuff together and did it, and then they had a job opening, and I was like, that was pretty fun, I wanna stick around. So I did the interview with them. Uh, while I was, I was in like California for like a rape, I think I had a gig, and uh, did the interview. I was like fairly, excuse me, fairly hungover. Um, and, uh, but I got it, I got the job, so. <laughs> Quite the job application process, you know, asking the near impossible, you know, can you drop a banner from a locked roof? Can you fly a blimp? Of course I can. There's always a way. <laughs> what can't you do? <laughs> There's always a way. Okay, so please tell me not everything you do is a success, right? Maybe give some hope to budding organizers who, like myself, have had you know many things fall flat. Uh, let's learn from from some of Tim's mistakes. Do you make any? Oh, I do all the time. That's part of the. I mean, if you're going to innovate, you got to make mistakes. You got to try things that don't work. Um, you know, ideally you don't, you don't always publicize those, but sometimes you do. And I think it's worth sharing those and celebrating those because failure is part of progress. Um, the, yeah, I think, I mean, most recently, uh, obviously not one seat, we didn't win, uh, and, um, probably got uh, a fair bit of, you know, burned a few bridges, you might say, um, even though the intention was very much to support progressive, uh, success, but you know, you know how it shakes out sometimes. Um, I think also with, um, the... You know, I was just doing a, trying to build a, a dashboard for Lead Now for a project, and I tried a, a, an approach that I thought would work, and it was, it was complete failure. It just didn't work at all. I figured out a different way, but had to, had to try that to know it wouldn't work. Um, and I've made, I mean, one time I made a, we thought we'd do a really clever email out to, um, after an election, celebrating the wins that we had, and then also in um, conservative writings, <clears throat> letting people know we were going to oppose their newly elected conservative MP uh, or MPP. And we targeted it in a clever way, but I mistargeted and wound up sending an email that was like, we're going to fight your conservative MP, Elizabeth May, and things like that, like just badly mistargeted. And that was like to like 80,000 people. It was a yeah, real, real catastrophe. So it does happen. Um, but that's the, we tried to do something cool and we did, but we also did something less cool <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I'm always so horrible with myself, you know, when you make those mistakes, especially like the small ones that amplify themselves, you know, like a, a field entry error and it, you know, like you say, 80,000 people now think you're fighting the Green Party and which was likely not your intention. Uh, for the folks maybe wondering what not one seed is and why it might have been contentious, do you want to just kind of fill them in so they're not... Sure, I can fill them in. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, not one seat was a <laughs> was a strategic voting campaign of sorts, and 
the premise was that in Toronto alone, we would unite the progressive vote, because um, we didn't need to persuade any conservatives in Toronto, we just need to unite the vote there so that Doug Ford wouldn't win any seats in Toronto, which was enough, um, based on the outcome from last time, to deny a majority, which was all we needed. Um, and the hope was that by doing it that way, we would, um, A, uh, not because we weren't trying to persuade any conservatives, we wouldn't be like causing a big trouble there. And also, because we were just in Toronto, that left the entire rest of the province to contest the election. And so we weren't going to swing it to either opposition party. We were just going to create the conditions by which one of them could win and defeat Ford, which we felt we were concerned that neither the Liberals nor the ONDP, under their leadership at the time, were in a position to, to win, despite the fact that, I, I mean, I, I've been a New Democrat for a long time. I'm very proud of the incredible work that activists in the NDP do. Uh, I think there's some of the most committed, determined, capable people uh, who are activists there. I do think that the campaign was not uh, optimal. And so we were trying to close the gap. And if that campaign had been run in 2018, might have been enough to tip it to the NDP. Um, certainly, if that had been a similar outcome here, that might have been it, but it wasn't. And it was a, a real struggle to go through it. And I kept hoping that there would be some change in the dynamics that we could um, deliver for, I mean, even the liberals would have been better, uh, for sure. And there were plenty of liberals with us. Um, I preferred the NDP, but would have taken liberals. I think the climate crisis is just too, too <laughs> intense. We just don't have the time to mess around. Anyway, all that aside, uh, the goal was... Well, let's be honest, not everyone can tell the difference between the NDP and the Liberals sometimes anyway, so I'm not going to be too hard on you, Tim. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. I figured, you know, like, it, NDP has been going to the center for a while in pursuit of electoral victory, which, okay, that's a choice you can make. And that being the case, it is at times hard to find the difference between the two. And there are differences, for sure, but it's not like, you know, if this were a like a bold socialist party, I don't know that I would have run a campaign like that because it would have been a different scenario, you know? I hear that. When I think of progress champions, and I guess to an extent we tried to do something like that through New Democrat where, you know, acknowledging the talent pool that exists across the political left and that we're often trying to figure things out as we go, um, that it would help boost the party. Do you have any advice? You know, personally, if I had ever been successful in my runs, you would have been the first person to hire um, for a provincial director, a campaign director. Uh, honestly, you, I imagine you could turn that party on its head without giving away all your trade secrets because, or give them all away. That is your style. What, 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 what could the NDP be doing? I, I've seen some of your blueprints, but Share, share it with a wider audience. Sure, yeah. I mean, I've definitely put a lot of thought into this and have, have delivered plans to the ONDP. And I, like one thing that's very funny is that the, uh, the not one seat amplification model we used on social media, which was wildly successful, millions of views in a matter of weeks, lots of legacy media coverage as a result. That model is one that I developed in 2019 and gave to the ONDP. And they didn't use it. So I used it. Um, but that's just the online, because part of the challenge the NDP faces is that they're not going to get a fair shake from the corporate media. They're just not. So you've got to go around them. Um, so that was why I developed that, was to try and give us an avenue to get around the corporate media um, and drive the corporate media narrative, which, which that one he did very successfully. Um, but 
where I think the ONDP really should shine and hasn't and hopefully will soon is on the grassroots organizing. And we just don't have uh, an investment model for the riding associations. It just isn't there. Um, I'm in Etobicoke Lakeshore, and this is now a priority riding because we got it to a place where it was very competitive. But that was off the back of our own work, and the party largely didn't do a lot to support us until that last bit when we were a competitive riding. And I think that's not a reflection on the people who are in the party who I think are just doing what they're given and working with what they're given. I think they very much want to win. I think there is a bit of a lack of uh, structure to the organizing model. And what they need to be doing is building up the grassroots in the riding associations with the kinds of tools and resources that can make them organizing powerhouses. And it's not that hard. Uh, it just takes making it a priority. And I don't think they do a good job of that. And that's unfortunate because that's, I mean, should be a grassroots democratic party, you know? That's where it should happen. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're doing with your own resources should be done through the electoral left. Because I think, yeah, there's a, a real disconnect in what they think leadership means. And for organizers, good organizers, it means creating new leaders, right? And that is definitely loosening the reins and providing tools that they have. I, I mean, there is training, but not to the extent that that you that you folks are trying to do or that you see you know other uh, networks of volunteers trying to do for one another let's talk more about progress champions where do you want to see it go from here like what is your definition of success long term long term the goal is to be uh, kind of a central hub for the uh, a unified progressive movement across both canada and the u.s um i think that there is an opportunity there for people to build relationships with each other, to um, share resources and knowledge and wisdom to innovate together. Uh, so sort of a central hub for that to happen, foster those kinds of connections and help to unite the movement because it is a bit fractured. Um, I would like to continue to support specific campaigns as well. We're doing a project now called the COVID Reality Project to raise awareness of the actual state of the pandemic since our elected leaders are not doing a bang up job of that. Um, and so that's a grassroots thing too, uh, just trying to empower people to share real accurate knowledge um, and learn skills to do that. So um, yeah, creating the conditions by which a unified progressive movement can come together, find skills and resources they need, um, and get equipped to win victories, both electorally, but also in other kinds of campaigns, uh, whatever they may choose to do. And so I think that like, as far as metrics, like uh, what I'm looking for is for people to give me their feedback to contribute to the community with their own wisdom and knowledge, because I only know so much, you know, and I'm always learning, and to have a real dialogue going. And that's really what campaigning always is. It's, it's dialogue at scale. You know, you're having lots of conversations. Um, and so looking to do that and, and create that, that hub for the movement. I'm going to challenge you a little bit because a lot of people have tried to unify the left, right? We, there's that is the dream of many. What are you going to do that could possibly make that different? Like what, what is it about your, your approach? Not yours as in singular. I know you're always part of a team. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And the, the, the answer is that if you look at those attempts to unify the left, I find that 
it's very endearing to me how much people on the left care about the policies, and they should. The policies are very important, and that tends, tends to be where they start. Let's find the right policies. Let's talk about the policy. Let's have a lot of discussion about the policies. Great. Nothing wrong with that. That is not what I'm interested in because I don't think that's actually what's going to get us there. What I'm interested in is the process. And by creating a space where people are talking about the process and the skills required to set their own objectives and to achieve their own objectives as part of this movement, the, the focus becomes on the relationships, the knowledge, and the working together on those things. And so that, because it's process-oriented, now we're not talking about policy, and we're not bickering over policy, and we're not you know, spending a bunch of time arguing over policy, which, again, nothing wrong with that, and there's plenty of space for that, and there should be plenty of space for that, but it's not what I'm doing. I trust my comrades to come up with great policies. What I want to do is come up with the process by which they can achieve those policies, and that's the focus there. And I think that's the unifying factor that we need. See, that excites me. I'm sitting here grinning because I'm at that point, particularly with the NDP, where, you know, when I started, convention was fun, um, sort of the policy discussions generated excitement, and it was great to hear. It was almost like one-upping, like you think you have a great policy, and then you see a piece of another policy, and you're like, oh my gosh, together we have solved all of our world's problems within these policy proposals. Um but they all really went nowhere and it caused a lot of division where it was almost like, excuse the language of pissing contest to see it had to be my resolution, not a kind of a collective creation. And so now when I step back and look, it's the complete, it's the procedures that you're talking about. It's the structure of the party that needs to be reshaped before anything else positive I think can happen and so I'm excited to see it be centered on that and you said something I wrote it down you know the ability to set our own objectives and that that is the essence of democracy and um, I'm wondering you also have a project there democracy defenders listed on the website that intrigues me, especially when you start talking about repairing the processes and creating something new and innovative there. What are you talking about? Democracy Defenders is uh, still in development, but that one is focused on, uh, I mean, the fact is democracy is under threat right now, um, deeply, deeply, especially back in the States, but that, that carries over here. It's under threat from a few different factors. Um, misinformation and disinformation is part of it, and uh, that is often intentional. There's intentional disinformation, um, both from corporate media, from state actors, uh, both Western and foreign, um, and from people with platforms that choose to do it. Uh, what we are looking for with Democracy Defenders is being very proactive in engaging and countering the disinformation and the misinformation. And the reason is because, and I, I think this is going to get into my uh, hippy-dippy theory here maybe, but um, Please do. I, I truly do believe that what we are living through now is the first stirrings of what will be the global society to come. And social media is the necessary but not sufficient tool that has begun that conversation, has begun that coalescence. And that means that the shape of the future of the species is really being determined right now 
in those discussions, in the way that those platforms and those communal spaces are shaped. And to me, it's important to be proactive about that and guarding true information, disseminating true information, countering active disinformation and just mistakes, misinformation, um, and giving people a way to organize around those principles of truth and justice uh, in the digital space is really important to lay that groundwork to be kind of an immune system for democracy online. Um, I think there's a lot more to do to defend democracy than just online stuff. I think you're going to have to do, like you need a healthy, vital grassroots in real life. You need strong communities. Um, I do a lot of work in my community on things that are not like political overtly, but I think it's important to be in those spaces because that's part of it too. Um, and providing those tools is probably something to, to think about for the future. Um, but also right now we do need to be engaging in that online space and government can't do it uh, or they, they can do some of it, but it can't be left to them. It has to come from the grassroots too. And so providing a vehicle for that is important. No, I, I mean, like for most things, we, we can't advise to leaving it to the government uh, solely, but I find that both terrifying and empowering when you make that assertion that, you know, the world's fate is being decided on, I fill in the blank, Facebook. You were far more articulate, articulate than that, but um, so terrifying in the sense of the misinformation that you're talking about, what we've seen is fake news and how quickly our peers absorb that and what that COVID is obviously the most obvious example on the damage that misinformation does, the, the, the fatal consequences of that, let's be honest, but we started the conversation talking about how you have and tapped into all of these amazing bits of technology and movements like progress champions that are going to share that. So I find it also empowering because, you know, you also talked about those that, that giving us a bit of an edge in order to push the corporate narrative, the corporate media narrative, something that, you know, is not typically friendly to us, but obviously can't ignore anything so big. So how can we take those gains in technology that the right obviously have access to as well, but use it to our best advantage? Yeah, it's the thing is to keep in mind is that the technology is just a tool and there's a lot of opportunities to use it and to learn and innovate with it. But at the end of the day, our real advantage is, is in human nature, because we on the left are tapped into something that's integral to human nature, which is that sense of community, that need for community, that sense of collective care, sense of fairness is built into our genome. Those things resonate with just about everybody. Um, what I find is that we often fight on the other team's playing field rhetorically, where we're arguing about the debt or the deficit and we're talking about efficiency. Those aren't bad things, but people do respond to the values. And this again is why I think the policy thing, I don't want to call it a distraction because policy is important, but when you lead with policy, you're leading with the narrow end. The policy should come from the values. So you lead with the values because that's what everyone has in common. And what the technology can do is give you a platform, a force multiplier, once you have figured out your values and figured out your objectives, then you can use the technology to communicate them, to organize people, and to deliver victories on it. Uh, just to give a few examples of how technology can do that and power that, um, 
we'll take Mountain's feed again. So here we had uh, people online engaging with our content. And so we had volunteers who were tasked with going and uh, following up with those folks who engaged with our content online, inviting them to be part of our amplification network. Uh, so when they did that, they agreed, they would just fill out a little form, put their data right into Airtable. That automated a message over to me to follow up with those people, get them plugged into a group chat on the platform of their choice. Uh, and that would then allow us to distribute the message of the day each day through those group chats. And they were different. There was group chats based on, are you in Toronto? Are you outside? Do you have a large following? Do you have a smaller account? Are you a climate activist? Are you some other issue? So we could target messaging for those segments as well, all tracked in that database, and then all automated on the messaging delivery um, through those group chats. So then those folks are engaging with it, amplifying it, and the algorithms on social media are very specific in what they uh, look for. Uh, and so a huge part of the amplification process is getting engagement right away. Uh, the first few minutes are really valuable. When a tweet gets a lot of engagement in the first five minutes, it looks like hot content and it gets seen by more people, which drives further engagement. So by having those direct chats, we would post a tweet, send it right away to those folks. They would like it, they'd retweet it, they'd engage with it, and then more people would see it and so on. And that's how we drove you know, tons and tons and tons of views and engagement constantly. To me, it sounds like you've like cracked all these codes, right? We always complain about the Facebook algorithms, but you're like, oh yeah? Well, once I figure out how you work, I'm gonna make you work for me. I absolutely love that. And I think to maybe a lot of lay folks, which is maybe not a great term, but folks maybe not deeply engaged in political organizing, some of this sounds complicated. But you've already said a lot of it is automated. And you've walked me through plenty of programs where I was like, I have never used that in my life to, I'm, I could throw that on my resume now, Tim. Like, thank you. A lot of hands-on learning which helps, but the automation, I think, is what's key because quite often campaigns look like there's a lot of people behind them. And it's usually a very small amount of people wearing many hats. Something like not one seat. Can you give us an idea of how many people were working on it that ended up with such a, a big amplification and footprint there? Yeah, I mean, the, at first it was just me, uh, but then we got, there was so much energy around it right away that we did get a lot of engagement um, very quickly. And um, it was it was a bit of trial and error. It was a different model of organizing. Um, so it did change over time too. But by the end of it, we did have a, a couple hundred people plugged in doing different kinds of organizing um, that were actively involved. And then we don't know if there were more, because we did. it was very open source. So we'd put stuff online and say, if you want to print these out and go do it, do it. And that was happening too. Um, but uh, there was a, a, certainly a core team in our, we had a Discord, which is like a chat platform that we would use to communicate. And so people in there, we had the creative team that was coming up with the content, developing it. We had the amplification team that was managing the distribution to the network and, and doing the amplification. Uh, and then we had a research team that was analyzing all the polling, all the campaign strength to help us make our assessments. And then an organizing team that was getting the information out to the on the ground in the writings and helping to organize the rest of the, the folks. That's quite impressive, Tim. Like, even for folks who, you know, if you've got beef with the aims of that project, you have got to give that kind of quick traction kudos. Um, you never cease to amaze me in terms of your organizing progress, Tim. Honestly, I, I'm gushing. Um, so you talk about open source, and I love 
I, I know that's central to that, but I love that so much because it goes outside your metrics. Like you love to measure success, but you know that there's no way you could possibly understand the impact you have when you share openly like that, which is beautiful. And someone, I had a, a life coach once who gave me this kind of analogy and it reminded me of that where when you do organizing the way that we do is like planting seeds and if anyone has gardened you know not every single seed will give you uh, a flower or food or whatever you're aiming to grow Um, but you don't know you don't always get to circle back and see exactly what grew but you just have to have faith that some will and they'll grow their own seeds right so that open source is then shared again and again and again and so i'd just like to remind you that all the metrics that you have are cutting you short because i don't even think you can keep track of the amount of times you've popped into meetings given a wealth of knowledge for people to work off of and then jump back out because you've got somewhere else to go and this has just been constant since I've known you. So um, I think there's just, yeah, something truly beautiful in the way that you just provide it and know that it comes back organically, you know, through a better progressive society. And even if you can't measure it, you know, because yeah, that it sounds like a rigid way to measure what I love that you set goals, but also I think there's something just feels like it's success even when the numbers aren't there and and that open source I think is part of that just just forever sharing for folks that like me are obviously completely intrigued with progress champions and the idea of building a cohesive left how should we get more involved yeah, if you check out the website, progresschampions.com or .ca, either one, um, both the same, then uh, it'll tell you a little bit more about how to get involved, and there's a little form to fill out. There is a bit of a vetting process because I don't want, um, you know, Doug Ford to get in there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you just fill that out, and then I'll follow up with you. Uh, it will actually automatically give you a little welcome message. And um, then uh, I have a Discord space where people are in there and uh, just starting to get chatting. Right now, the top priority has been the COVID reality project because it's just it's really essential that we get that information out. Um, but we're beginning to do some trainings and just finishing. Um, I've booked a few on there for how to run good email campaigns. I did one on how to set up a website, and that that Progress Champions website is just basically a template. Like I didn't program any of that, basically a little bit, but. Um, all this is with no code. I'm not a coder at all. Um, so it's a, some cool things that are achievable without a ton of effort. So I want to show how people do that. There's also a training coming on uh, Airtable, uh, which is more of a hands-on one. And I just finished uh, working with um, Harbinger Media. We're going to set up a podcasting 101 uh, panel. So we'll hear from some successful podcasters on the left about how people can get started with that. Um, I think we do need to be sure that there's a lot uh, stronger of an information ecosystem on the left. Uh, there's a lot of great content out there, but it's very fractured. And then there's also, I think, a lot of people who would love to contribute more content and don't know how to get started. So we want to facilitate that as well. I welcome more comrades in the podcast circle. That's, uh, it seems, yeah, very well-rounded, Tim, from the tools that you're providing. I told you earlier, I've signed up for the Airtable uh, training, and I'm surely going to 
uh, take a look at more of the trainings because it's just ever changing. And I think I'm older than most people make me out to be, I think. And so I feel ancient in some of these spaces and I really do have to work to stay on top of the new technology because once you realize how little you need to do once you've set it all up, you know, like you're talking about the template for the website, far more seems achievable, right? Um, there's, I've been in some really good organizations that, you know, just didn't even have a database and I get horrified at that idea of, you know, so if, if we could just provide even the most basic one, two, three tools, uh, to give folks the stepping stones to do great things like you're doing, um, that's just amazing. Is there anything else you kind of like to share with folks that we haven't talked about yet? Um, I think, I mean, we were talking a lot about organizing and if we're going to, like, I don't want to leave that without saying that it's um, the things that you do to be a good organizer are often the things that you're already doing to be a good friend. And if you are, uh, you know, reaching out to people to check in how they're doing and you're finding out what people care about and what they want to see in their community, those are the kinds of normal things people do just by being a human, and that's good organizing. Um, the only thing to amp it up is to just maintain that data, to maintain those relationships in a systematic way, and now you're organizing. So it's not a huge jump. It's not a huge difference to what you're already doing in most cases. And uh, if, you can, if you can go to a party and make a friend, then you can be an organizer. Um, if you can talk to your neighbor, uh, you can be an organizer. That's really what it comes down to. It's just doing the things that humans do. Yes, it's not as complicated as, as folks might think it is. And um, I, I, appreciate for you, I appreciate you for making it so approachable for so many. What is the most, just as a parting question, what is the most fulfilling thing about spending all your energy, essentially, organizing people into raves, into political spaces? What is your best payback? It is so exciting uh, to like have a team built uh, to do the work of organizing that pull off like a direct action and that energy of the moment is so thrilling to me. Um, like whether it's a rave or a, an action or a campaign, whatever it is, it's so much fun uh, to have all those people working together, pulling in the same direction, sharing those experiences, brainstorming, providing feedback, like just having that that dialogue constantly and then to have this like build towards this big peak moment and then just have that energy all just release at once is so so much fun and uh like, like i mean it came from raves first for sure but it's very similar with organizing politically you get that that peak of energy and it's just nothing like it i find it thrilling to this day i'm glad it drives you uh, the world is a better place from your organizing and i appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to again share your knowledge, share your experiences, be vulnerable with us as well. And um, I hope that it does drive people to step out of their perceived comfort zone and try to, you know, work their own theories of change and, and, and organize. So that's really the whole purpose behind the show. And I think, yeah, we could probably have you on many, many times to talk about specific tools. And, um, but I wish you the, the best of luck in the progress champions. That is, I'm particularly excited about that, Tim. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for all you do too. It's always a pleasure to work with you. And uh, I know our paths will cross many times in the future. 
infinitely better. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I want to again remind folks to check out progresschampions.ca for more information on what Tim is up to and to sign up for a workshop because the tools are out there that will allow us to build the movements we need with the very little resources we often start with. And I think we're all so much more talented and creative than we often give ourselves credit for. Everyone has a role to play, and I hope this episode gets some of you excited to expand your toolkit, to build those new relationships, and, and to get involved in some way. For me, I was reminded to have more fun within the fight. Thanks again to Tim. Peace, love, unity, and respect. Like in all things that we do, there's a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon.com backslash BP of disruption. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of disruption. Blueprints of disruption is a project of new left media, an independent employee owned company.